1: And we come in this hour to First Thessalonians chapter 4. And we have been in the first three chapters already. Let's review, class, just for a minute, all right? What is going on? That's what everybody keeps asking. What's going on in this world? Now, what is happening around us? Well, we can't answer all those questions because we don't see from God's vantage point. But we can at least speak with certainty about what God has plainly given us in His Word And 1st and 2nd Thessalonians are two of the books that really speak to this. There's a lot of prophecy in Scripture, but these books really speak to the local church, and they're deeply practical. I'll show you that in just a moment. But just flip through with me for a second. Look at chapter 1. Notice uh, every chapter mentions the coming of Christ, but specifically in 1st Thessalonians, it seems it's at the end of these chapters. More often than not, it's like it builds to that. So in chapter 1, we learn what we're waiting on. What are we waiting on, church? We're waiting on his son from heaven. That's what the end of the chapter says. Then when you come to chapter number two, we learn at the end of the chapter, of course, that he's coming, but here we learn what really matters in the end. He has a whole chapter on the difficulties of life and the stress and strain and struggle of it all. Maybe you've dealt with some of that today, and everybody's got problems, and there's spiritual warfare going on, and we get weary at times. But when you get to the end of the chapter, and thank God when you get to the end of it all, it's all going to be worth it all when we see Jesus. And so what matters in the end is souls. Ye are our joy and hope and crown of rejoicing. And then when you come to chapter number 3, he mentions again the coming of the Lord at the end of the chapter, and this time he connects it to prayer, and he teaches us what we ought to be praying for in light of the coming of Christ. We talked about this in the afternoon meeting yesterday, but we ought to be praying for an increasing faith and a growing love and an abounding holiness. In other words, we want... We want to take the next step and go on and grow on with the Lord in light of the soon return of Jesus Christ. And then you come to chapter 4. Chapter 4 is an amazing chapter. It is, in fact, the classic passage on what is commonly referred to as the rapture of the church. So if you want to study something about the church leaving here and we're getting ready to leave here, could be before I finish preaching tonight. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? This is the passage that details that divine order for us. And it begins in verse number 13. So from verse 13 down to verse number 18, here we are again at the end of the chapter dealing with the coming of Christ. But before we read it, now before we read it, I don't usually do this. I want to point something out to you. I want to point out to you what precedes it and what follows it, like bookends. Because most often we jump right into it and we talk about the second coming of Christ. Everybody nods their head and says, that's right, preacher. We believe Jesus is coming. Well, here's the real where the rubber meets the road. What difference is it making in your life? The doctrine of the second coming of Christ is not theory. It's practical. Did you ever notice what he said right before the classic passage on the rapture? It might surprise you. Look at verse number 11 that you study to be quiet and do your own business and work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's like, hold on a minute. He's talking about going to work and paying your bills and taking care of your family and living like a Christian, and then, boom, he goes right into the rapture of the church. That's exactly right. Because God's people ought to be living every day in light of the soon return of Jesus Christ, and it ought to make a difference in the way you go to work and school and treat the neighbors and treat your family. All the practicalities of life are connected to the promise of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And on the back end, look at chapter number 5. Chapter number 5 holds for us a long list of practical outworkings of our Christian faith. I don't have time to go through them all, but famous things like, look at verse 16, rejoice evermore and pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, and quench not the Spirit, and despise not prophesying, and prove all things, and abstain from all appearance of evil. All of that grows out of what we believe about the fact that any moment we are going to see Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what that means to you. That is profound to me. That's, that's an amazing thing to think that God connects the everyday
0: Christian interaction what we did with every day of our life.
1: What if this were it? I'm just curious. What if there is no Tuesday night meeting in this church? What if there's no Tuesday morning? What if tonight the trumpet sounds? And immediately everybody says, oh, that'd be a wonderful preacher. We'll get out of this mess. Yeah, we'll be out of this mess. But it's a sobering thought. As joyful as it is, it's a sobering thought. I think if Jesus came tonight, that means we're going to the judgment seat of Christ to give a, an answer, an account for the life we've lived to this moment in time. Let me just ask you before we read our text. Is there anything you'd like to take care of before you see Jesus face to face? Is there anything you've not yet done that you ought to do or something that is in your life that needs to get out? I'm speaking tonight on this subject, what's next? What's next? And before we read, let me just tell you this. I'm going to show you what's next from God's vantage point on God's agenda, but when I get done, I'm going to give you four things tonight to write down. They all come straight from the text. When we get done, I'm going to ask you to add one thing to the list. And I can't tell you what it is. The Holy Spirit's going to have to tell you what's next for you. In light of what's next on God's agenda, what is the next step you're supposed to take? Read with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. But he said, I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. (laughs) Somebody said, that's the largest congregation in the world. I think that's right. Congregation of the ignorant brethren. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. We do sorrow, but we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe, how many of you believe, yes? If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, by the way, I noticed this today. Did you ever notice that this is not in the passive, it's in the active? It doesn't say in this verse, he was raised from the dead. He did the raising from the dead, but it says he rose again. Look, of his own volition and power. Isn't that wonderful? He died, he rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. I love this. If I said to you tonight, Tell me what the gospel is. Somebody says, oh, preacher, the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That's exactly right. But let me tell you what the rest of the story is. The rest of the story of the gospel is the resurrection of the dead and the rapture of the church. So, in fact, the gospel message is complete in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but the effects of it are not finished yet. Because look, God always connects the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to the rapture of the church. What does that mean? It means we still have a whole lot to look forward to. We're not just looking back, we're looking ahead. Look what he says in verse 15, For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord. Don't miss that phrase. In other words, this is not Paul's word, this is God's word. This is not the preacher's word, this is the Holy Ghost's word. This we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It's impossible to predict what's next in our world. I mean, honestly. Back up two years. I just want you to back up two years. Could you have ever predicted what we would have dealt with in the last two years? Nobody could have predicted that. In fact, back up six months and look at the current world situation and all that's going on and what we're in the middle of and what we're on the verge of right now, and nobody, look, you can listen to any commentator, prognosticator you want to, nobody could have told you exactly what was coming next. I can't tell you what's next in Washington. Only the Lord knows what's next in Washington. I can't tell you what's next in the world. I can't tell you what's next on Wall Street. I can't tell you what's next in my own life. And for the record, I'm kind of glad I don't know what's next. That's in the Lord's hands. And I want to just say right up front tonight that I'm no prophet, not the son of a prophet. I'm not going to tell you something you've never heard before. But I do want to show you what God says is next in his word. Because frankly, there's a whole lot of confusion about it right now. There's lots of people living with questions. I'm talking about good people in churches who've heard all their life Jesus is coming and all that kind of thing, but they're starting to wonder now, okay, what's going on in the world and what's next and where are we in all of this and, and what should we be watching for? And let me just tell you right now, we are not looking for the Antichrist. We are looking for Christ. We're not looking for some change in the world system. We're not looking for some new government to be put in place. That's not what we're looking for because what's next on God's agenda is what we just read in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And I love this. It's a liberating truth. Remember what Jesus said, you should know the truth. The truth shall what? Make you free. Let me show you how freeing it is. We'll look at the end of verse number 13. What is the last word of verse 13, please? Circle it in your Bible. What's the word? Hope. He said, we got a whole bunch of people that have no hope, but we have hope. Now, come to the last verse, verse 18. Wherefore, what's that word? Circle that word in your Bible, comfort. Like bookends on this classic passage, he says, if you'll understand this truth, if you'll know this truth, it will bring hope and it will bring comfort. Can you think of anything this world needs more than hope and comfort right now? A world filled with despair, suicide up 200% from my dad's generation. A world filled with despair. The most drugged generation in the history of the world, you know what they need? They need hope. And where are they going to get it? They need to find it from some of God's people who have hope. And the word comfort here, it literally is the same word for cheer. Be of good cheer, my brother. Encourage yourself in the Lord. It's not the time to moan and groan about how bad the world is. Hey, Jesus is on the way, and any moment we're going to see him face to face. So if we understand what's next, it brings hope and it brings Comfort. I told you on the Lord's Day, according to surveys, one half of Americans believe we're approaching the end of the age. One half of people surveyed said they think we're, we're nearing the apocalypse. You ever notice how many movies have come out about the end of the world? It's on people's minds. In fact, this was staggering to me. They said of young people, and there's a lot of young people there tonight, and I'm glad to see that, that 6 out of 10, 18 to 25-year-olds, say they believe in the end of the world. Six out of ten. Now, what does that mean? Look at me just for a minute. It means that we already have an open door, if we want it, to talk to people about what's next and use that to point them to Jesus Christ. We have to know it. So what's next? All right, let's begin where the Lord does. First things first, look at verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Number one, would you write this down? You will know what's next? Number one, Christ descending. Christ (laughs) descending. Jesus always goes first. He's the divine initiator in all things. And how's this all going to end? Or maybe maybe that's not the right word. How's this all going to begin? See, for the child of God, we're not looking for endings. We're looking for a new beginning. Sin will lead you to a wall. I mean, you ever just follow sin and go your own path and boom, you hit a wall. There's a dead end. But look, please. The Lord never leads you to a dead end wall. He always leads you to an open door. The end of the age for the child of God is not the end, it's the new beginning. So, how does it begin? Look at it, please, in verse 16. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. When Christ descends, how does He descend? Let me give you several things. First, He descends personally. I love that. He's not sending a representative. Now, I'm looking forward to talking to Moses. Anybody else looking forward to talking to Moses? And I'm pretty excited about meeting Elijah. I really am. I can't wait to sit down with all the apostles. But isn't this glorious? When the Lord comes for his church, watch this, please, it's wedding day. You understand we're the bride. He's the bridegroom. You don't send somebody else after your bride. You come yourself. And the Lord is coming personally for his own. And that's not all. Look at the verse. He's not only descending personally, he's descending visibly. The Bible says he will descend from heaven. In other words, as surely as they saw him go up into heaven, we're going to see him come back out of heaven. Remember Acts chapter number 1? They're standing there just gazing up into heaven. Don't make fun of them. You'd been gazing up into heaven too. And what did the angel say? This same Jesus that has taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. He went up physically, visibly, before their very eyes. He's coming back the exact same way. Look at the verse. He's not only descending personally and visibly. I like this one. He's descending audibly. You're going to hear him. We talk about seeing him, but you're going to hear him. What are you going to hear? Well, look at it. It says, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. There's going to be a shout ring out. It doesn't tell us what the archangel says. In fact, it's my conviction, we'll hear the voice of the Son of God himself. That in fact, these angels will just be, they're long for the ride. They're really long for the ride. You really think Jesus needs the angels? He's coming in his own power, and we're going to hear his voice. We're going to hear him shout. And by the way, the word for shout here was the word that was used in military times in Paul's day for a command. I like that, don't you? When the shout rings out, it is the command for everything to get started. The Lord himself gives the word. And then look at it for just a moment. He not only comes personally and visibly and audibly, he comes gloriously because he's coming with the angels. Imagine Imagine the great army of angels coming with him. And we know the archangel is right there leading the pack. There's only one archangel identified in Scripture his name is Michael. There may be more, only God knows. And I I think it's improper for us to say with certainty that we know everything about what's going on in heaven and with the angels when, look, all we know is what God's chosen for us to know in Scripture. So we'll leave some of these details with the Lord. Is that all right with you? This we know. He's coming personally and visibly and audibly and gloriously. And, yes, praise God, he's coming victoriously. You guys notice what the Bible says with the trump. With the trump. Let me show you what I mean. Hold your place here just a second. Just mark your place in 1 Thessalonians. We'll come right back. And go back with me in a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. This is, you know, the passage. This is the great resurrection chapter, the great gospel chapter. And look at 1 Corinthians 15 verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. Would you like to know a good mystery? I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, and don't miss verse 52, at the last what? Now watch, in Scripture there are many trumps, but this is what trump? He's very specific. This is the what? The last trump. And then he says a second time, as if he didn't want us to miss this, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength the sin is the law. But, read it with me, church, Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When I say he's coming victoriously, understand what I mean by that. Jesus already has the victory, but on that day, we're going to have the victory. We get to share in the victory. See, look, I love this. Usually the shout of victory comes at the end of the conflict. This is beautiful. When Jesus comes back, he gives the shout of the victory before the conflict ever starts. So, before the tribulation, before the great battle of Armageddon, before all the conflict of the ages, watch this please. In the beginning, the shout of victory rings out. Isn't that powerful? Why? Because he's already the victor. You studied it out in Scripture. Do you know when trumpets were used in the nation of Israel? They were used three times. Three different occasions, they were used, roughly speaking, generally speaking. They were used many times, but within these three categories. They were used for assembly. When God wanted to assemble his people, they would sound the trumpet. Remember at Mount Sinai? They would sound the trumpet. to gather the people together for an assembly. They would sound it for times of war, when they were charging forward, when they were advancing, when they were pressing against the enemy. And then, <laughs> like this, they would always sound it for the feast days when they were drawing people to the worship, to the celebration. Watch this. When the Lord comes, what's it going to be? All of the above. It's going to be the assembly of God's people. All the church is getting together on that day. Isn't that going to be good? Have you ever had a Sunday where you had the whole church here at one time? I don't think so. I mean, some of them you can't find with a Christian FBI. Isn't that right? I mean, that's true everywhere. And we never all get together. But imagine this. Even if you did get this old congregation together, the whole church of the living God has never gathered at one time. But that day, that's going to happen. It's an assembly, and the trumpet sounds for it. And a war, oh, yes, but a war that's already been won because the captain of our salvation has already won the battle. We're on the winning side, and the trumpet sounds for that. And, yes, praise God for the final feast. And you've never seen a feast like it. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the trumpet is announcing the beginning of all that God has for us in the last days. So what's next? Say it with me. Number one, say it please. Christ descending. Let's try it again. What is it, number one? Christ descending. One more time. What is it? Christ descending. Go back to our passage. Let me show you the second thing. It's not only Christ descending, it is dead rising. The dead rising. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself should ascend from heaven with a shout. That's heaven's signal, God's alarm clock. You, you want to talk about a wake up call? That's a wake up call right there. Have you ever been startled by a wake up call when either you had overslept or the wake up call wasn't supposed to come? Have you ever had that happen before? Isn't that a sick feeling? You imagine imagine how many sleeping Christians. The first alarm they hear is going to be the trumpet. And the first feeling they're going to have is, I missed something. Oh, they're going. But they missed their opportunity. Mm. The Lord himself should ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ should rise first. You see how just one just naturally flows into the next? It's beautiful. Christ descending, dead rising. There's a, there's a beautiful divine order here. By the way, every time the Lord shows up, dead people get up. If you don't believe me, ask Lazarus. Let me just show you something, just for fun, all right? Just for fun. How many of you give me 60 seconds? Would you give me 60 seconds? Would you raise your hand? Good. That's at least 10 minutes. Wonderful. Go to Matthew 27 with me for just a second. Look at Matthew 27. Let me show you something. This is at the cross. Matthew 27, verse number 50 says, Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And I used to preach that like, you know, he just finally in in defeat said, it's finished. No, the shout was the victor's shout. It was not a negative, it was a positive. Finished, paid in full, complete, done, atonement atonement paid. It was was the same kind of shout we're going to hear. Notice immediately what happened, verse 51. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. That's amazing, that's amazing. It had been hanging there for centuries. It's 60 feet wide. 30 feet high and 4 inches thick. Think about that. And God just said, "Mm, we don't need that anymore. And just boom. From top to bottom, not bottom to top, man didn't remove the veil between. God removed the veil between. When the veil of Christ's flesh was rent in twain, God removed the veil in the temple because now there was no reason to be kept out of the Holy of Holies. Jesus made a way so we all could come into the holy presence of our great God. The veil is rent in two. That's not all. The earth did quake and the rocks rent. Somebody said, wonder why there had to be an earthquake and and the rocks rent. I'm going to tell you what I believe. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, if you don't praise me and you hold your peace, the rocks will cry out. I believe on the day Jesus died, the whole earth acknowledged the presence of their creator. And when all the disciples got still and quiet and ran for the hills, the rocks said, we can't take it anymore, and they just cried out praise and worship to their God. But that's not all. Keep reading. Verse number 52, and the graves were opened. Do you ever notice this? And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection. Now, look, he has to rise first. Remember, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. But it says after his resurrection, these people got up out of their graves and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. How would you like to have been living in Jerusalem when dead people walked in? Somebody said, that looks like mama coming there. It is mama coming there. Did it ever dawn on you that as soon as Jesus died and rose from the dead, immediately new life came? I'm going to tell you what this is. This was just a foreshadow, a foretaste of what's to come on the other end. You want to talk about a glorious day. Can you imagine being in a cemetery when Jesus comes? I had that thought the other day. My aunt just went to heaven, 72 years old. And I miss her, and I preached her funeral the other day, and I, I think I told you on the Lord's Day, Grant and I had gone by the cemetery to check and see if the marker was there and flowers and all that. And we're just kind of walking around, looking around, and all of a sudden, I just had this thought, can you imagine just meandering through the cemetery on the day the trumpet sounds? I'm going to tell you, I'd like to be there. I really would like to be there. It's almost like the best of both worlds if you're alive, but you're in a cemetery because you get to see the resurrection and experience the rapture at the same time. It's powerful. I mean, dead people, just like Matthew 27, are going to get up out of the grave. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 look at it carefully. Back Back up to verse number 13. Here's what he tells us about these people who are dead. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. So in verse 13, they're sleeping. And by the way, that's not what some people preach, some soul sleep. It doesn't say their soul is sleeping. Their bodies are sleeping. It's a picture of rest and peace. How many of you have some loved one that's gone on to be with Jesus? Would you raise your hand? All right. Their body went to the grave out yonder, but their soul didn't go to the grave. Their soul went immediately to be with God, absent from the body, present with the Lord. By the way, never dawn on you that there doesn't have to be a resurrection for the soul? There never has to be a resurrection for the soul because the soul never dies. The only resurrection that ever takes place is the resurrection of the body. So when the Bible says they're sleeping, what? They're resting in Jesus. That's a pretty good place to be, resting in Jesus. Keep reading. In verse 13, they're sleeping. In verse 14, they're coming. He said, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So now that first they're sleeping, they're resting from their labors, Revelation says, but then the next verse says they're coming back. They're coming with Jesus. How's that going to happen? Their bodies in the grave, their souls with the Lord. Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at the next verse. The Bible says they're rising. When they come, verse number 16, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Here's what I, I believe. I believe that on the resurrection day, we say resurrection morn, but it's going to be morn just because it's a new day. We have no idea what time of day. But on the resurrection morn, I believe that the bodies of those people are going to get up and be reunited with the soul that's already been with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be an amazing thing. Somebody said, but that body's corrupted. Yeah, well, ask Mary Martha how that worked out for Lazarus. The Lord's going to take care of all of that. Somebody said, well, they were lost at sea. Don't you know where God has them buried at sea? The Lord knows everything and can do everything. The same God that made Adam and breathed life into him can surely put him back together again. And so what is he saying here? He's saying as surely as Christ is descending, the dead are rising. Let's take a survey. Let's take a survey. I'm serious. How many of you would, would prefer to be alive when Jesus comes than dead and be a part of the rapture? Would you raise your hand, please? Now, some of you never even really thought about it. How many of you would prefer to be dead so that you can be out of here first? Would you raise your hand? You want to go first, anybody? I'm not trying to get up a busload to go tonight. I'm just curious. Spurgeon said, I think it was Spurgeon said, he said, I want to die in the Lord and be resurrected. He said, if I had to pick one, if the Lord left it up to me, he said, because I'd like one time to feel what resurrection power feels like going through your body. And let me just tell you, if you're dead or if you're alive, either way, you're not going to get the short end of the stick because it's going to be good for everybody. So it's either resurrection power or it's rapture power, but one way or another, God's people are going to be with the Lord Jesus. Let me show you a verse. Go back to Philippians chapter 3 for just a second. I love Philippians, and I was thinking about this verse earlier today. This is good. Look at Philippians 3 verse 20. Our conversation's in heaven. Literally, we're citizens of another country. We're living in two worlds at the same time. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at verse 21. Oh, may, may Philippians three twenty-one take on a whole new meaning in light of what we're studying tonight. Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. I asked the young people earlier today in the, in the morning chapels, we're studying some practical things in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, and I asked them earlier today, how many of you have something about your body you don't like? And you know almost everybody's hand went up. So let me ask all the parents and grandparents, how many of you have something about your body you don't like? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, and the older we get, the more we find that we don't like. Isn't that right? But wait a minute. God's able to subdue all of that. And even even the sinfulness in our bodies, praise God, the Lord's going to change all that someday when we are made like unto the lovely Son of God. So what's next? Christ ascending and the dead rising. Oh, but that's not all. Go back to our text and write down a third thing, the church meeting. The church meeting. Notice what the Bible says, verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and don't miss this, to meet the Lord in the air. See, I think sometimes we, we, we talk so much about the flight we're going to take, we miss the point that it's not about the flight, it's about the destination. So everybody wants to talk about the rapture and how's that going to happen. I have no idea how the Lord's going to do all of it. All I know is the point of the rapture is I get to go meet Jesus. May I say to you, this verse is the greatest church meeting the church will ever have. It is the greatest meeting. It will be the moment when we all get together with Jesus. And we had a great meeting on the Lord's Day. We had a great meeting, and we're having a great meeting tonight. And I praise God for all that. But friends, you've never been in a meeting like the meeting we're going to live through in this verse right here. The church is going to be. Look at it. Look at it in verse 17. Who, who comes to the meeting? Well, those of us that are alive and remain get called to it. Now, the dead are already up there. Remember, they, they go first. And just in a moment, just like that, we're going to join them. So uh, some generation is going to be alive when the Lord comes. Do you understand some church is going to be functioning here on the hill when the Lord Jesus comes? and <laughs> We could be them. We may have the privilege. People talk about the end of the, end of the age. Oh, I even hear Christian people talking about, I'll tell you, preacher, it's getting bad out there. It's getting bad. And I think, what is wrong with us? I mean, like it's really sad. We're getting ready to see Jesus. It's just really sad. Are you kidding me? We're living on the edge of eternity, and any moment we may see the Son of God. I mean, God's people ought to begin looking at this from a totally different perspective. Stop looking through the lens of the the newscast and start looking through the lens of the Word of God. Notice not only who gets to come, but how. The Bible says we'll be caught up. Would you circle those two words, caught up, and write in the margin of your Bible, rapture? I hear people say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. No, but the meaning of it is, and right here it is, caught up. Let's use other places in Scripture. For example, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Do you remember the Apostle Paul said he knew a man, I think he was speaking of himself, who was called up into the third heaven? It's the exact same verbiage, exact same wording, called up into the third heaven to be with God. That's exactly what's going to happen when the church is taken out of here. The word means to snatch, to to seize. The the emphasis of it is on the immediacy of it, That, that not only could happen any moment, but when it happens, it's going to happen in just a moment, and it's going to be over. There's no last-minute preparations. I'm sorry. There's no deathbed experiences when it comes to the rapture of the church. No, no. Whatever you're going to do, you better do it quickly because any moment, the trumpet's going to sound, and we're leaving out of here. Look at it, please. It only tells us who's coming and, and how we're going to get there, but where we're going to meet. The Bible says in the clouds. I've been meditating on that this week. You ever wonder why we're meeting in the clouds? Now, later, later at the end of the tribulation age, the Lord Jesus is coming back to the earth. Here he's coming back in the clouds. But let me ask you a question. Why does he even come to the clouds? I mean, why not just catch us up into the third heaven like he did Paul? Why is he even coming in the clouds? Why are we meeting in the clouds? Let me just use a little sanctified imagination for a moment, would you please? Can you imagine what your perspective is going to be like when you leave this earth and suddenly you're with Jesus in the clouds? and you're looking down on this planet, and you're looking down on the life that that then was, watch, please. Don't you think your whole perspective is going to change? I'm going to tell you what in the clouds is a reminder of, oh, I love this, that there's coming a day Jesus is going to loose us from the bonds of this earth. That everything that has bound us, everything that has kept us, every earthly thing will be left behind in a moment of time when we meet with the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Revelation with me just for a second. Would you please look at at Revelation chapter 4. This is where we're talking about. Now, Revelation 2 and Revelation 3 represents the church age, these seven churches of Asia Minor, and I don't have time to get into all of that, but immediately after the church age, and and look, the last word of verse 3 is the churches, the churches, the churches, but look at chapter 4, verse 1. After this, there is an after coming. After this I look, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard, was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. Stop, lift your head, and look at me just a second. Does anything that I just read to you sound vaguely like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? I mean, something opens up in heaven, a voice shouts out, and it sounds a lot like a trumpet. Keep reading. And what does it say? Would you mark these two words in your Bible? Come up. Come up hither. Oh, I love this. Look, for the church of the living God, we're not going down, we're going up. Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. I remember years ago reading the story of a man who was on board the Titanic who was a Christian, and his name was Robert Bateman. And uh, Bateman really knew the Lord, loved the Lord, and he died on board the Titanic. And he was one of the bodies that was recovered. I, and matter of fact, I don't remember the number, but the only a certain number of people were recovered. He was one of them. Finally, they identified him. But weeks after Bateman drowned, uh, on April the 14th, 1912, in the North Atlantic, his his nephew Tom went to the mailbox to check the mail and had a letter in the mailbox from his uncle that had died on board the Titanic. And it was written on Titanic stationery. It had been written on board the boat and sent off post before that fateful accident And Tom opens a letter and starts reading this description of the boat and the trip and all that. And when he gets to the end of it, Robert, who was a dedicated Christian, said, Tom, as wonderful as this ship is, if this ship goes to the bottom of the ocean, I will not be there. I will be up yonder with Jesus. That's pretty good right there. Let me just tell you, I have no idea what's next in America, no idea what's next in the world, no idea what's next in world events, but I know this, if it all falls apart tomorrow and it all goes to the bottom, I'm not going to be down there. I'll be up yonder with the Lord Jesus for the record, people say, well, how do you know the church is not going to be in this tribulation age? We talked a little bit about that earlier uh, in our study about the wrath of God not being poured out on the bride. But for me, one of the greatest evidences in Revelation. Revelation 4, verse 1, come up hither, we're taken out of here, and the church is not mentioned again Do you get to Revelation 19 at the end of the tribulation age. Why is that? Because we're no longer in the earth. We are now up yonder with the Lord Jesus. We're at the church meeting. How many of you are going to be at the church meeting? I'm just curious. Don't miss that church meeting. Go back to our text. We have Christ ascending. We have the dead rising. We have the church meeting. And then we have the saints abiding. Don't miss the end of verse 17. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. <laughs> As if the initial meeting is not going to be great enough, how, how? try this one on for size. You get to stay with him forever then. Forever. Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Oh, my friend, what's going to be wonderful about it? We get to be with Jesus forever. There's a little revelation here about the Lord's house. Look at it, please. So shall we ever be with the Lord. We're going to the Lord's house. You know, you can't beat being a Christian. You really can't beat being a Christian. Watch this. He comes to live in your house now, and you get to go live in his house forever. That's a pretty good deal. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And, praise God for the end, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But wait a minute. This is not just a revelation of the Lord's house. It's really a revelation of the Lord's heart. Do you know what the Lord has always desired for man? God has always wanted man to be with him. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think God came walking through that garden in the cool of the day? you really think the day they sinned was the first day he ever came to the, walking through the garden to talk to Him? No, no, he put them in that garden, his prized possession, his prized creation, because he wanted to commune with them. Hey, pray tell me. Pray tell me, please. Why did God make a tabernacle for the wilderness or a temple for for Jerusalem? Why was that? Why why put the Ark of the Covenant in the holy place and let the Shekinah glory of God come down? I'll tell you why. Because God always wanted to be with his people. Why send Jesus to earth to save us? Emmanuel means what church? God with us. Why? Because God has always wanted to be with His people. Why send the Holy Spirit to abide with us forever? How did Jesus call his disciples in Mark 3? And before he sent them out to start their preaching and their working, he said, I want you just to be with me. Oh, the withness of Jesus. I love this. Look, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. It literally means he pitched his tent next door to ours. Look, God is not a far-off God. He's not a God that holds you at arm's length. He's a God that wants to be with you, and he wants you to be with him. And praise God, he's made a way so that someday we get to be with him for all of eternity. In fact, let me show you why heaven's going to be heaven. Go to Revelation 21 just a second. Look at Revelation 21. Now I hear people saying we're going to live in heaven forever. Technically, our abode's going to be the new Jerusalem. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. And here it is, Revelation 21, verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Somebody said, well, I like the ocean, preacher. And in the Bible, sea is always a picture of, of people groups and the turbulence of world, the sea is ever-changing, ever-churning. Let me ask you a question. If God made the ocean and it is beautiful, don't you think that the river he makes there is going to be better than any ocean we've known here? And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell, read the next two words, with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be what, church? Here's those words again. With them and be their God we want to jump to verse 4. Praise God, no more tears and no more. Let, Let me tell you what's going to make it great. Not just the no mores, but what we're going to have forever. Not the place, it's the person. You're going to be with him. And here's the beauty of it. You ready? Christ ascending, the dead rising, the church meeting, and then the saints abiding. Don't miss this, please. We're not going there for a temporary stay or for a short visit. We are going there to live for all eternity. And that, for the child of God, is what's next. And so I come now full circle back to where we started. If this is what's next, then what's now? I got an idea. Let's quit our jobs. Let's get rid of all of our junk. Because heaven knows we got more junk than we need. Let's all go sit out on a mountain somewhere and just look up at the sky and wait for him to show up. Somebody said, that's a good idea, preacher. No, that's not a good idea. Read Second Thessalonians. That's actually what the Thessalonian believers were thinking. Matter of fact, some of them thought maybe we missed it already. There's some people like that today. Maybe we missed it already. No, you didn't miss it. Look, something as big as the rapture of the church, friend, it's not just going to be a little blip on the radar. It's, it's going to make waves, let me tell you. You hadn't missed it. Watch this, please. If this is really what's next, then don't you think the Lord wants us to give attention to something right now? So I'm getting real personal and real practical now, and I can't tell you what it is. If you're waiting on me to give you some long list of what you ought to do, you're going to be waiting a long time because I don't know you. And everybody in this room's spiritually speaking at different steps on their journey, but I know this there's not a Christian in this room tonight. That doesn't have some step of obedience God wants you to take. And if you're not a Christian, I know the step you need to take. You need to trust Jesus now as your Savior and get ready to meet him. Because I'm going to tell you what everybody in this room's doing tonight. You ready? Everybody in this room's getting ready to see Jesus. We're all getting ready to meet God. And I ask again, if that were tonight, what would you wish you had done? If you knew this was your last day, what would you do with it? Then do that today. I was preaching one night in a meeting, Kentucky, and a young woman, wife and mother, I knew her, seat on the right-hand side. And right in the middle of the message, she jumped up out of her seat. It was a little startling. And she was sobbing, and she crawled over three or four people, and instead of coming forward to the altar, she turned around and ran that way, hit the back doors on a full-out run, didn't come back into the meeting. She wrote me a letter a couple of weeks later. She said, I apologize for interrupting the meeting. She said, I want you to know why I left. She said, and I don't even remember what I was preaching on that night. She said, I was sitting there, and she said, i would never had this happen before, but she said, in the middle of the message, God brought my daddy's face to my mind and made hell so real to me, and it dawned on me, if my daddy died or Jesus came while you were preaching, my daddy would be lost forever. And she said, I just couldn't take it anymore. She said, I left and found a phone and called him and gave him the gospel. She said, amazing things. She said, he's never wanted to listen to me about the gospel. She said, he didn't get saved that night. I believe he's going to be saved soon. She said, but through my tears that night, he listened to every word I say. For the first time in his life, he listened to a clear presentation of the gospel. You know what I got to thinking? I wonder what would happen if some of God's people would start living like that with that urgency and intensity every day. I was preaching in church one night. It was a midweek service, a Wednesday night service, I remember. And a lady came forward, and she knelt over on the side, and and she was weeping, and one of the ladies of the church went and counseled with her. And I gave it back to the pastor, and the pastor called her name. Everybody knew her. She was a member of the church. And uh, he said, Sister, so-and-so, she's been saved for years, but she's never been scripturally baptized since she was saved. And she's always been embarrassed about it and didn't want to tell anybody, and everybody just assumed that that was all taken care of like it was supposed to be. And he said, so she wants to get baptized, and everybody said amen. And he said, uh, she's going to do that on the Lord's Day. And everybody said amen, but her, she raised her hand. And she said, no, sir. And I thought, I wonder what's going on here. She's weeping, and she said, i got to get baptized tonight. And he said, well, I appreciate that, sister. He said, but the water's cold, and we hadn't warmed it, and it's freezing. He said, we'll warm it up by Sunday. She said, I don't care if it's freezing cold. She said, I've gone to bed every night for months knowing I disobeyed God. And she said, I don't want to lay my head on my pillow another night without doing what Jesus told me to do. Somebody said, what happened? We all sat down, and she got baptized in freezing cold water. Somebody said, that's crazy. No, I'm going to tell you what that is. That's sincerity. That's somebody getting ready to meet Jesus. They asked Martin Luther. They said, Mr. Luther, if you knew that you were going to leave this world tonight and meet God, excuse me, they said, if you knew you were going to meet God tomorrow, what would you do today? That was the question. And Martin Luther said, I'd still plant my apple tree. And I thought. That's one of the oddest answers I've ever heard in my life, still plant my apple tree. And then he went on to explain. He says, as far as I know, I've done everything God has told me to do to this point, point." and he said, I believe it would please God if I went ahead and planted my apple tree today because I'm ready to meet the Lord like I am right now. Can you say that? They asked John Wesley. They said, Mr. Wesley, if you knew Jesus was coming, tomorrow night, what would you do with your schedule tomorrow? He said, exactly what I've planned to do. And he went right down the schedule and told him what he'd planned to do, the meetings he had and what he was doing with his preachers and all that through the day. He said, because I want to finish my last day just doing what God's given me to do. And I wonder tonight, is there anything the Holy Spirit has put his finger on in your life and said, this is what's next for you? Because if you're going to get ready for this day, you better start today.
0: If this Bible message has been used of God in your life or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at EnjoyingTheJourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.